Uh, Father, just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray that you would just bless the study of your word tonight, Father. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we just go through your word, may you just, uh, Lord, may you go through us through your word, Father. May you just minister to us, teach us, uh, exhort us, Father. Really just uh, 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 help us to draw closer to you through the study of your word, Lord. Uh, for it's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Awesome. So we come to uh, chapter 19 of the, of the book of Exodus. And really it's an, it's, uh, an exciting time it's all exciting for, for really all exciting and i really mean that when, when i when i say that man it's like every single chapter we read i'm just so excited but it's an exciting time for the children of israel as we're reading it, it's kind of like we're like on the outside looking in and we get to kind of just see them go through this whole experience you know and we get to see what their emotions are what they're going through what they're feeling what they're seeing and so really what's going on is that after about three months of now just wandering in the desert aimlessly uh, and, and seeing God's God's hand provide for them, uh, provide for them uh, food, bread while, when when there was no bread, uh, meat when they were when they were hungry, water out of a rock when when they were in a, in a, in a dry place. Now they're finally going to get to to meet God for themselves. You know, it's like they've been hearing about this God. Moses has been has been telling them about this God. They've been uh, hearing this God. They've been seeing uh, God show up in, in, a, in, a, in a pillar of cloud and a fire by day and by night. But now they're actually going to get to see God for themselves or at least see some of His presence. And they're going to get to now draw near to the Lord for themselves. And it's like, you can just imagine, you know, this group of about 2 million people, this whole time as they're wandering through the desert and, 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 they're, and they're hearing from Moses and they're saying, man, uh, Moses is coming down and he's saying, Thus says the Lord, the Lord says this, the Lord says that. And it's like you could tell maybe some of them are even wondering, Man, I wonder if Moses is even hearing from the Lord. I wonder if God is even uh, really talking to Moses. Right? All this stuff could, could, could be going through their minds, but now they're going to finally get to see God's presence for themselves and actually hear God for the first time in an audible voice. And so it says this in chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, And in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For, the, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the new wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And so really what, what we see now is that, is that Israel is in the same location now as where Moses was when he first met the Lord. There in Exodus chapter 3, you guys remember we read about when Moses uh, had an encounter with the Lord. He was just tending uh, some sheep some sheep and his flock there in the, in the desert and all of a sudden he, he, he sees a burning bush and, and, and it says that he sees it it's burning and he keeps on walking and then he takes a second look he's like huh that, that bush is burning but it's not being consumed and as he draws near he hears the voice of the Lord calling him Moses and it was God and so God was talking to him through this form of this burning bush and so uh, you, if you remember the story as Moses drew near God told him hey take off your shoes Moses because you're standing on holy ground right now and so now we see that, 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 that Moses brought the children of Israel right to that meeting place where he met God uh, just a few years, just, just uh, some time before, right? And, and, and really what's happening is that God's promise to Moses is being fulfilled because God told Moses when he commissioned him, he says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, I'm going to send you to the children of Israel, and you guys are going to worship me on this mountain. A few months ago, a few, a few, a few you know, some time back, uh, that would have been impossible for Moses. Why? Because he had spent 40 years in the wilderness. He had spent 40 years uh, there in the desert tending a, a, a bunch of sheep. And, and he thought, man, God's done with my life. There's no way God can do anything with my life now. And forgot to tell him, you know what? You and the children of Israel are going to worship me in this mountain soon. It's like, man, it would have blew his mind. And now actually he's seeing 
God's promise fulfilled right before their eyes. Now he's brought the children of Israel to that same mountain where God told them, hey, you guys are going to worship me here. And so it goes on to say there in verse 3, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my command, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so as, as Moses is, 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 is there at the mountain, we're told that, that, that Moses hears from God. God speaks to Moses from the, from the mountain, and, and Moses responds. And, I mean, it just blows our mind the way that, that, that Moses has this relationship with God. Right, where God is using Moses as an, an, an intercessory. So God, as he's talking to his people, he talks to Moses first, and then he relays the message to the children of Israel. And so we see that, that God tells them, hey, he says, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if indeed you will obey my voice and keep my commands, then you shall be to me a special treasure above all the people and above all the earth. And so we see that, 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 that what God is giving Moses here and, and really the children of Israel, of Israel is, this, uh, is this promise. But it, notice that it's a conditional promise given to the children of Israel. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice. Now that word if, you know, is a conditional clause used more than 1,400 times throughout the, the, throughout the Bible. And, and, and we see that, that this is this deal that God is making with the people, but it's dependent on the people's obedience. God's, God, God didn't just say, look, man, uh, I chose you guys, so you're going you know, to be my special people throughout the whole earth. I don't care what you guys do, uh, if you mess up, if this, this, that, or the other. You know, you know, no matter what, you guys are going to be my people. No, but he says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commands. And so we see that, that, this, that this covenant that, that God is making with the children of Israel here, again, is dependent on their obedience, on their obedience and their keeping of, the, of, of, of God's word. Now, Later on, as, as we continue on to the story of the children of Israel, we see that they didn't keep uh, God's commands and, and they didn't obey God's voice. And as a result, they were uh, thrown into exile. Uh, they, were, they were overtaken by the Babylonians. They were kept in captivity for 70 years. Later on, they, they would be taken uh, into captivity by the Assyrians, by the Persians. Uh, they were being under captivity under the Grecians. Then later on in Jesus' time, under the Romans. And so we see that, that, that really God's covenant to them is, is being fulfilled. Because as long as they kept hearing the voice of God and obeying the voice of God and keeping His commandments, all right, you know, everything was good. But it's like the moment that they rebelled or they, or, or they, or they, or they stopped uh, keeping God's commandments, God had to come in and kind of uh, chastise them and kind of do something, crack the whip a little bit, what to do this, to kind of bring them back. Say, all right, guys, you guys are drifting a little too far. Now, interesting that this is a, a special covenant that, was, that God made with the children of Israel. For us as New Testament believers, uh, th we're under a new covenant that, that's amazingly, uh, it's altogether independent of our performance, right? Because it's based solely on, on, on the saving grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and, and th this faith that we have in Jesus now, it's, like, it's hard to believe because as we read these stories through the Old Testament, as we read these covenants that God made with His people, we see that man really we're uh, we're under the covenant of, 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 of we're just uh, of God's grace, you know why? Because now we're told that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, 
And, and even though we're Christians, even though we're believers, we're going to mess up. We're, we're going to mess up and there's going to be times where we don't fully obey the voice of God as we would like to. There's going to be times where we kind of go astray a little bit. There's going to be times where we even uh, rebel against the Lord. Right? But, but the Bible tells us that our salvation is not dependent on our performance. If it was, man, I for sure wouldn't be standing here. I don't think any of us would, would be in this place really seeking God. If our salvation, if our relationship with God depended on how good we acted, on how well we performed, on uh, how many battle words we didn't say, how many bad thoughts we didn't think, on how many uh, bad things we didn't do. If, if our relationship with God and if God's love for us depended on our performance, man, we'd all been lost a long time ago. And that's the beautiful thing of this new covenant, you know, the, of, of this new promise, of this, this new life in Jesus, that Jesus paid it all. He paid the price for our sins so that we can come to Him even though we're messed up, right? And the Bible tells us that, that, that whoever comes to God, He will never cast out, right? And, and that amazes me because even the children of Israel, God's special people, man, they were under this conditional clause. And they were saying, all right, if you guys keep the commandment, if you, if you obey my voice, then you'll be to me a special people. But for us, what, what does the Bible say? Hey man, whosoever will, let him come. You know, and, and, and that's amazing. But it goes on to say that in verse 7, So Moses came and called all the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the, in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And so we see that, that, that Moses is acting as, his, as really as a priest for, for, for the people and, and a priest on God's behalf. Why? Because traditionally, what, what is the, the role of a priest? The role traditionally of a priest is, is this intercessor, right? And, and, and the people would have to go through the priest in order to get to God. Right and, 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 and religion, you know, that's that that's the way it's set up that, that, that there's an intermediary. We can't go religion religion tries to tell us, hey, you can't go straight to God, you can't go directly to God because of this, this, that, and the other, XYZ. Right? And so we see that Moses is acting uh, as a priest on behalf of the people, you know, to God. Right? God wanted to say something to the people, he spoke to Moses. Uh, the people wanted to say something to God, they spoke to Moses and Moses told God. But for us as believers and really because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross the Bible, the Bible tells us this in 1 Timothy 2.5 says this let me read it for you in 1 Timothy 2.5 uh, it says it says for there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus it goes on to say verse 6 who gave himself as a ransom to all and so for us as New Testament believers, the Bible tells us that, hey, we don't have to go through an, an, an intermediary. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a different person. You guys don't have to come to me so that you go to God. You don't have to say, hey, angel, can you tell God that this is, I need help with this, that, and the other. Hey, can you let God know, angel, that, uh, you know, because you're up there, so he hears you more than he hears me. You're probably closer to God than, than, than I am, right? You're probably more spiritual. No. You know, the Bible tells us that all of us have this free, uh, unrestrained access to God. Because there's one mediator now between all mankind and God. And that's Christ Jesus, right? We no longer have to go through a person. We no longer have to go through a priesthood. We no longer have to go through an organization, a religion, a, a, a building, a format, anything. 
But the Bible says, hey man, there's one mediator. That's Christ Jesus. And if we receive him with, as our Lord and our Savior in our lives, then that means that the Spirit of God now dwells in us. And then we have this, again, this unrestrained access to God, right? But for the children of Israel, they couldn't, they couldn't go directly and speak with God. And we see that, 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 that what God is going to do now in these next few verses is that, is that He's going to establish uh, a regulation. He's going to establish it that in, in their hearts. And He's going to establish it amongst the people that there are certain things you must do in order to get to God for the people. And so it goes on to say there in verse 10. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today. The word consecrate means to set apart or to make holy. It says, uh, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bound or boundaries for the people all around saying, take heed for yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. And he says, whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or animal, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds along, they shall come near the mountain. And so what God is telling Moses, he's all right. he says, all right, Moses, get the people ready. Get the peop get, uh, spend two days getting the people ready, because in the third day, I'm going to come down to them. And, and, and they're going to see me. They're going to hear me. And so, and so Moses is told that he is to consecrate the people, and the people are to wash their clothes. For us, that probably means nothing, right? Because we all take showers and stuff every day. But um, for the people, being that they're in the wilderness, being that they're in the desert, I mean, they can't just go over there and go to the washing machine. All right, I got to do a fresh load because I'm going to go meet God tomorrow. No, they had a really, they, it was a journey. It, was, it took a long time. They had a journey to the nearest uh, water source. They had to wash their clothes there. You know, they had to dry them. They had to pick up probably their best clothes, right? Their, their Sunday best. Why? Because they were about to hear from the Lord. Right? So, and so the whole idea here is that God is telling them, look, there's a certain way that the people must, uh, must be in order to come from me or in order to, to, to come near to me. And then he says this. He says, take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. And so God tells Moses, all right, Moses, look, I'm going to come down to the people, but I'm only going to go so low. And you got to make sure that the people don't come up to me because if they come up to the cloud, if they come up, to, if they come up uh, too close, he says, they're going to die. You may be thinking, man, well, what's up with that? You know, that's kind of that's messed up of God to do that. But what God is, is doing is, that, again, that, that he's establishing that there are certain ways in which God must be approached. He's setting the standard for holiness. That's what God is doing. He's setting a standard for holiness. There's a story there in the, I believe it's Second uh, Samuel, where, 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 uh, the, the, where the nation of Israel, they had, at the time the Ark of the Covenant, which was like their meeting place with God, at the, at the time it was taken away by, by, uh, by a neighboring uh, uh, enemy, uh, enemy nation, and then we're told that, that, that King David, he got some of the guys, and he said, all right, you know what, we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. And so they went to this land, they brought the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant, it was again like this little, uh, this little tent that was set up, and they would go and they would meet God there. And it had uh, two poles on it, two long poles, so that the people, as they're carrying it, they could they carry it from the poles and not touch the Ark of the Covenant. And then this story goes on to say there they're in, they're in, uh, in 2 Samuel, I believe, that as they were walking with it, here's the guys that are walking with it, and all of a sudden somebody trips, and one guy, in order to save the covenant so it won't fall, he goes, he reaches out, he touches it to try to keep it from falling, 
and he falls dead. He 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 drops dead. And and then and then David he was all upset. He's like, man, God, he says, I'm, we're trying to do a good thing. We're trying to bring the tabernacle back to Israel, and, and this guy dies. What, what's up with that? All right, but but really, what, what was what, what God was establishing there is that, hey, man, that God is a holy God, and He can't be approached by just anybody. Right? This was before Jesus died on the cross, so so they didn't have that righteousness, you know, attributed to them. And and and, and so and so God God was trying to establish. Uh, and, and to tell the people, you know, as that guy died, why, why he chose the covenant, is that, hey, God is so holy, and you're so not, you're so unholy, right? You're so sinful. And so God was establishing that standard of holiness. And that's what he's doing here with the children of Israel, is that he's setting that standard of holiness. So much so that there's a death penalty on anybody who comes and touches the mountains. He says, whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. And he says, and so much so that, that even when they kill him, they can't touch him. They got to throw a rock at him or they got to, or, or, or they got to sling an arrow at him. They, they can't even touch him themselves. Why? Again, because of that standard of holiness. And so it goes on to say there in verse 14, So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and he sanctified the people and they washed their clothes and he said to them, to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. And so Again, as they're being consecrated, as they're setting themselves apart, he tells them, all right, don't even stay away from, from your wives for these couple days. I mean, you know, don't, don't, don't go into the bedroom with them. I mean, just, he says, just keep yourselves pure of all things. Not that that within the boundaries of marriage is, uh, is unpure, because that within the boundaries of marriage is, is, is pure, right? Before God's eyes, it, the Bible says that, 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 uh, that it's undefiled, right? That the marriage bed is undefiled. But again, God is setting up the, the standard that, that, that they must be set apart from all things, set apart from all carnal desires, set apart from all worldly pleasures, set apart from, from, from anything you know, that, 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 that is going to you know, bring any type of distraction as they're coming to, the God, to, to God, as they're coming to meet God, as they're coming to, to, to hear from God. And so it goes on to say in verse 16, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings, and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and so what's happening is that as they recognize right today's the day today's the day that God's gonna come down and meet us we've been uh, washing our clothes for the past, these past two days we've been uh, you know uh, setting ourselves apart making ourselves holy doing all this work just so we can meet God for a short amount of time Right? And again, God is establishing that in their hearts that there's, certain, there's, a, that there's certain, a certain way to approach God and that's in holiness. And it says in 17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sound, sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered. And then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Man, that's heavy. I mean, if you can imagine the scenery, that's heavy that about these two million people know, all right, we can't even come near the mountain because God's going to come down and, and, and we even touch it, we're going to die. But yet, as all these people are there, they have to stay a certain distance away. And they can't even come near to it. As, as they hear all this thundering, as, 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 they, as they feel the earthquake, as they see the lightning, and they recognize that God is there, they're like, man, we can't even come near to, to the mountain. But yet, 
God called Moses to come up and Moses went all the way up and you could just imagine the, 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 the looks on the people's faces like whoa Moses went up there and he didn't die like whoa Moses is going up there man that's scary right and so God is establishing again Moses as well in the midst of the people and so it goes on to say then verse 20 then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and the Lord said to Moses go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them but Moses said to the Lord the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us saying set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it then the Lord said to him away get down and then come up you and Aaron with you but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them so Moses went down to the people and he spoke with them now so this is what's happening is, is that God tells Moses alright for two days you guys are going are to spend two days just consecrating yourselves washing yourselves making sure you're ready to meet God uh, make sure you, your minds are clean your hearts are clean your, 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 everything about you is clean to meet God he tells Moses make sure you tell the people don't break through don't try to look don't try to get a peek don't touch the mountain Moses is alright God done said and done right and as Moses is up there talking to God, what does God tell Moses? Hey, Moses, get back down there because one of these guys is going to try to gaze, gaze at me, right? And so it's always in our hearts, in the hearts of mankind. It's always in the hearts of mankind. As God has set a standard for approaching him, and that standard is holiness, it's always in the hearts of mankind to want to go and approach God a different way other than the way that God has already set. The Bible says that the Bible says, hey, be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Right? The Bible tells us that, that, that Jesus said it. It says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Right? The, the Bible says that, 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 uh, that whosoever believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord and, 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 and confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, you know, shall be saved. But yeah, and so God has already set the standard for approaching Him. Right? The Bible says that, that righteousness is imputed to mankind, to sinful mankind through the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And so God has established that there is one way to come to Him. But yet mankind you know, wants to go around that, oftentimes, so many times, just wants to go around that and, and tries to approach God in their own way. I don't need to accept Jesus. I'm a good person. I can come to God. I don't need to believe in that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. I believe he's a good person. I believe he's a prophet. And I believe that God hears my prayers. I don't need a, you know, this, is that, and the other. I don't need to be washed by, 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 by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Uh, God knows my heart. Right? And really what's going on here is, again, is that the people are, are, are trying to find another way to come to God apart from what God has said. Holiness. But yeah, it's always in man's heart to, to try to do that, right? There's, there's, I've heard this analogy of, hey man, God is like a spoke. He's like a rim, you know, he's like, he's like a spoke on a tire that there's many different little strands and they all lead to the center and the center is God. There's many different ways to get to God. No, God says there is one way, right? And so we see that as, as Moses told the people, hey, don't come near. And then even they're seeing all this lightning and, 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 and flashing and thunderings and earthquaking. Some people still didn't listen, right? Now again, God is establishing that there are certain ways in which He must be 
approached. And really, that's where chapter 20 comes in. And chapter 20 really goes with chapter 19. It should have been just all one, one chapter, but, but it's broken apart. And so with the people trying to break through and with God sending Moses back down there to tell people, hey guys, cut it out. Cut it out, you can't come near. Then it says this, and in verse 20, 25 again, so Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. And then chapter 20 says, and God spoke all these words saying, now we have here in, ch in chapter 20 what's known as the Ten Commandments. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's really just called the Ten Sayings. The Ten Sayings of God or literally the Ten Words, right? We call them the Ten Commandments. We, we place that, that, that word commandment on them, but really it's, it's uh, the Ten Sayings. And, and so what we're introduced now to what we know as God's law. Not Moses' law, not the law of the Bible, but God's law, right? Not the Christian's law, but it's God's law. And so we see that now God is going to give Moses and the children of Israel ten laws. Or one law divided into, into, into ten commandments, right? Or, or, or ten sayings. And so it goes on to say this. The very first one, the first commandment. It says, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you, up, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And so we see that God is establishing this, that, hey, look, I'm the one that's saying this. It's not Moses. It's not Aaron. It's not any of the elders. But this is coming directly from me. So he says, You shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself a carved image uh, any likeness and, and any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that it is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to the earth uh, to them nor serve them for I am the Lord your God uh, and I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands and to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so we have the first commandment, which is you shall have no other gods before me. All right. And you think, all right, big deal, man. That, that's an easy one. Right? We, all believe, we all believe in God. But, but, but really, again, what, what God is establishing in them is that, is that there's, one true, there's, there's one, one true God. There's one true God. And, and, and that's God. He says, I am the Lord your God, the one who brought you up out of Egypt, the, uh, the one who brought you up out of the house of bondage. He says, you shall have no other gods besides me. And then notice that the second one was, you shall have no other gods before me. And he says, you shall, make, you shall not make for yourself you know, anything out of a carved image or a little statue or, or anything else you know, that, that you see in heaven or, or, or below the earth. What it is, it's, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. He says, you should not be idolatrous. You could just sum it up with that word, idolatry. Now you might think, well, well, I'm not an idolatrous person, right? I, 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 I believe in the God of the Bible. I, I, I come to church, right? I don't have a bunch of, you know, different things set up that I worship or bow down to or sacrifice to. But really, idolatry goes far beyond, far beyond a little statue. Idolatry goes far beyond, uh, you know, a little idol. Idolatry goes far beyond a little carved image or, or even a picture. You know, idolatry, sometimes we could create this, this false, this, this other God in our hearts. And, 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 I, and, and I say it like this, because like I was talking to one of my coworkers who was supposed to be here tonight. And, uh, and one of the things that I asked him was like, hey, you believe in God? He's like, yeah, I believe in God. And, uh, I was like, and I started asking, what do you think about this, this, that, that, and the other? Right? And, and one of the things that came up was uh, uh, relationships, you know, having uh, um, intercourse before marriage. And he says, oh, yeah. He says, I know that's in the Bible, but... No, no one does that anymore, right? No, no one gets together and, 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 and stays, you know, stays set apart until marriage. He says, that's, you know, that was way back then. But I said, but God's word says this. And, he, and his response was, 
yeah, I know it says that, but I really don't think God minds. And so in him saying that, what he's doing is that he's creating another God in his heart apart from the God of the Bible. The God that he's created in, in, his, in his imagination doesn't mind if you fornicate. The God that he's created in his imagination doesn't mind if you do this, this, that, or the other. So then that's not the God of the Bible. So what is it? It's an idol now. It's a false God. It's a, a God apart from you know, God Almighty. And we, we could do that sometimes where we think, yeah, I believe in God. But yet, we reject certain things about God, you know, the Bible has said. And we think, well, God wouldn't do that because this is that and the other. So this is the God I believe in. Even though the Bible says otherwise. God has revealed himself to us in one way, and that's through his word. We have, uh, within theology, we have what's, what's known as, as general revelation or, or natural revelation. And that is, you know, uh, uh, God being revealed through nature through what we see, meaning we see the mountains, we think, man, yeah, it, it, and it, spe it speaks of a creator. We see the galaxies, we see the stars, we see all these things, and we think, all right, God created that, right? So that's general revelation. But general revelation tells us nothing about the person of God, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his long-suffering, his compassion, his forgiveness, right? His sacrifice that, that he made for us. And, 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 and that's known as a special revelation. And that special re revelation uh, that revelation about who God is and how He is comes through His Word, right? And any God that we create in our minds apart from the God that He, apart from what God has revealed about Himself to us through His, through the Bible, through the Word, is is an idol, right? There's the people who say, "Hey, man, well, I don't believe God. I don't, I don't believe in a hell because I don't believe that a loving God will send anybody to hell." But yeah, we we're, we're told the, the the Bible tells us that 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 God, because He's loving, because He's just. Therefore, he has to punish evil, right? And we see that, that, that hell is a punishment of evil. And, and if God is loving, if God is just, then therefore he has to punish evil. Because evil going unpun, uh, unpunished is evil. The Bible says that to, to know to do good and to not do it, that's sin. And we know that that's not God, right? And so the Bible does tell us that, 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 that God, that God as just like he, he, he's good, and he's loving, he's merciful and all these things, he's also just, right? And he's also going to take vengeance on evil. And so for someone to say, well, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I don't think God would do that. Not my God. Not the God that I believe in. Well, that's a different God than the, from the, other than the Bible. You're believing now in a different God. You set up in your mind now, in your imagination, another God, an idol. Right? And so when God says, here in the commandments, when he says, uh, you should not have any other gods before me, or you should not make yourself a, 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 any other type of God out of uh, carving or anything like that, again, it goes far beyond something physical goes beyond a picture on the wall or, 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 or a little carving, right? It's, it's really the God of our imagination, you know? And so it goes on to say there in verse 7, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, the other commandment, you know, you shall not take the, 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 the name of the Lord in vain, or you should not use the Lord's name in vain. Most of the time when we hear that, we attribute, we, we, we connect it with, you know, cussing. You know, when someone says, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, or Jesus heaven Christ, or oh my God, or something like that, yes, excuse me. And we think, all right, that's, that's what the commandment means. And, and yeah, but it goes even further with that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, 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 to downplay that. I mean, that's a serious thing. I, would, I, I get bothered when guys at work, whatever, keep on saying it, you know, saying the Lord's name as, and using it as a cuss word. You know, there's a guy who, who, who I watch on YouTube and he tells people, hey, would you use your mom's name as a cuss word? Would you, would you use, you know, uh, your daughter's name as a cuss word? No, no. Then why would you use God's name as a cuss word? 
Why would you use God's name to express disgust? Something throws you off or something catches you off guard or something disgusts you or something makes you mad. You say, God's holy name. Say, man, it's, 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 uh, it's using God's name in vain, right? How come we don't use our mother's name or my grandma's name or wherever, or my wife's name, <laughs> right? But, but we see that it really goes far, it goes far beyond just using God's name as a, you know, as a cuss word. But he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, and it goes further beyond that because it could even apply to somebody claiming to belong to God. When I take the Lord's name over myself, saying, hey, I belong to God. I'm a Christian. I, you know, I've been baptized. I, you know, gave my life to the Lord. And yet, I live a life that's completely contrary to what God's will for my life is. And so what am I doing? I'm taking God's name upon my life in vain. When I claim to belong to Christ, when I claim the name of Christ over my life, but yet live a life that's completely contrary to it. I'm taking the Lord's name in vain. And I believe that, 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 that as God spoke to the children of Israel and gave them this commandment, you know, I believe that, 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 that it went further than, again, just this, using God's name, but really claiming it over themselves or identifying with God, but yet living a life that's completely contrary to it. And, we'll, and we're, we're going to see that for most of Israel's history, they're going to live uh, in, 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 in contrast to this commandment because they're going to call themselves the nation of Israel, right? The people of God, the children of Israel, the children of God, but yet they're going to be serving all these other idols. They're going to be serving Moleks, the, the, the Ashtoreths, all these other false gods of the nations around them, sacrificing to them, right? And really, and still calling themselves, hey, we're God's chosen people. We're the, the children of Abraham. We're, you know, hey, God's holy people. No way. And so that applies to us as well, right? And so it goes on to say, now the, I forgot to keep track of, fourth commandment, it says, fourth commandment, it says, remember the, verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which is the seventh day, so meaning the day of rest. It says, remember the, the day of rest, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy or to keep it set apart. Verse nine says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of, of the Lord your God, and it you shall do no work. You, nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your nor their stranger that is within your gates. Verse 11, why? He says, For in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and, 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 and hallowed it. And so the fourth commandment now to them is, is hey, keep the Sabbath rest. And we see that God established the seven-day uh, week for the children of Israel. And really for us too, because you notice we're using that same calendar, right? I mean, you ever wonder, where do we get seven days from? Where do we get, you know, six days in the seventh day? Where do we get a seven-day uh, week from? And really, it goes all the way back to, to the Bible, where God has established that, hey, that God created the, the earth in six days, and on the seventh, He rested. And so, and God takes it all the way back to the creation, and He tells them, all right, look, you're to work six days, but the seventh day, the Sabbath day, you're to, you're to not do any work on that day, but instead, you're to just hang out, relax, and more than that, you're to meditate on the Lord. And so God prescribed this day for them, the seventh day, where they were to do nothing except for just draw near to God. And, and, and I mean, I'm probably not the best person to be preaching about this because I take no rest. And even on Memorial Day, Liz is like, hey, aren't you tired? Don't you want to rest? I, man, I woke up super early and I'm looking, I was bummed out because I don't have anything to do. I'm like, man, what can I fix? What can I fix? Boom. Because I start fixing my motorcycle. And, like, and, and so I'm really not the best person to talk about rest because I don't rest. But <laughs> I do take the time to rest in the Lord. 
right? And I'm not trying to justify it, but I took I should take some rest, right? I'll do it, vacation. And, but we see that, that that God set up the, the seventh day rest for the people of Israel, right? He took it back back to the beginning. He says, why? He says, for God created the, the earth in six days and on the seventh he rested. It's not that God needed to rest because God doesn't grow tired. He's not like us, right? The Bible says that God is spirit, you know, and those who worship him must, spirit, must worship him in spirit and truth. And so God is not like us where he gets tired. God doesn't need to take a day off or vacation time or uh, uses uh, sick, sick days to whatever. You know, God doesn't get tired, but really God took it all the way back to creation. And God, if he wanted to, God, if he wanted to, he could have created the whole earth in one day. He could have just spoken and everything would have happened all at once and created the earth in, in a moment if he wanted to. But he didn't because he, he was setting up a pattern and an example for us. Right? It says that, that he created the heavens and the earth in six days and on the seventh it says that he rested. Now in the Hebrew when it says that he rested, really it means he ceased from creating, meaning he stopped creating. And so God set that up as a standard, as, a, as, a, as an example for us. And the, and the people of Israel, they were to take the seventh day to just meditate on the Lord so that their hearts wouldn't get throughout the busyness of the week so their hearts wouldn't grow too far away from God. Right? Now, keep in mind that, that this is a commandment given to the children of Israel. For us as Christians, there's, there's even like a lot of, uh, within Christian circles or the Christian umbrella, there's a lot of groups who will tell you, hey, you can't be a Christian go to church on Sunday. Right? You got to go to church on Saturday because Saturday is the Sabbath day. You got to, you know, you, you got to worship God on Saturday or you can't do any work on Saturday. Right? And they try to put that burden on people. They try to put that trip on people. But notice what Paul said there in the New Testament in the book of Colossians. As, as Paul was, was speaking to believers who were kind of going through the same thing where other believers were not pressing them. They're saying, hey man, you guys can't, can't, can't go to church on Sundays. You, you should be going to church on Saturdays. Or you should, you should still, now being Christians, you should still hold to the Sabbath day rest. And this is what Paul had to say to them. He says, there in Colossians 2.16, he says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or what? Or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And so what Paul said, and really what the Bible teaches is that this seventh day rest, the Sabbath was created for the people, not the people for the Sabbath. Right? And meaning that, that, that the people were to take the Sabbath so they could draw near to the Lord. And really we see that the Sabbath was, was created and it was really a picture of the rest that we have in Jesus. Later on, Jesus, when he was walking with the disciples, he would walk with his disciples. And then uh, there's a story, I think, believe it's in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus was walking with his disciples and, one of the, and some of the guys, they get, they get hungry. And it was on the Sabbath, right? And they begin to pick, uh, they, they start to pick some of the grain and eat it. And the religious Pharisees are like, whoa, 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 hey, Jesus, your, your guys aren't keeping the Sabbath. And Jesus says something along the lines of, hey, man, does, uh, you know, do, 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 does, uh, do, do the friends rejoice? You know, do the friends mourn when the, when the bridegroom is with them? You know, but no, they, they rejoice. And so Jesus is saying, look, while they're with me, you know, they're taking their Sabbath rest because they're with me. Why? Because Jesus is a fulfillment of this Sabbath rest. Because the Sabbath rest went more than just a physical rest, but really it was a spiritual rest. And those who have entered into that rest that, that Jesus gives, you know, spiritually, you know, we're, we've entered into that Sabbath rest of Jesus. Notice what, again what Paul says, he says that, that all those things, the, the, the foods, the festivals, uh, the, the, the new moons, the Sabbaths, all, all those holy days, he says, they were a shadow of things to come. And, and those things, and, 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 and the substance of it was Christ, meaning, hey, they were meant... To, to kind of tell you something that was going to happen soon. 
right? They were foretelling of, of, of something that was going to happen in the future, of a, of, of a fulfillment. And Jesus was that fulfillment. So don't let anybody trip you over by, hey, you got to take a Sabbath, or hey, you got to do this, or hey, you got to, you know, go sacrifice or whatever. No, because Jesus is a fulfillment of the law. And so it goes on to say now, the fifth commandment, it says, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon uh, your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, of course, that one uh, 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 you know, speaks for itself. Honor your father and your mother. Right? So that your days may be long. Now, interesting that this is the first of the commandments that has kind of like a promise to it. And he says, hey, if you honor your father, your father and your mother and your mother, he says, you're going to live a long life. You know, meaning, hey, you're going to live a good life if you're just at peace with, with your parents. And I've seen that in my life. I mean, I grew up, man, bumping heads like this with my mom. My dad was out of the, out of the picture, so, you know, but when he, when he, every once in a while when he would come back in, we'd boom, 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 right, right, we'd bump heads. But me and my mom were always constantly bumping heads, right, and we, there was no peace between me and my parents. We were talking about it on a Sunday when my mom was here, and then we were sitting down with Gigi and Mark, and, and my mom was hugging me, and I was tripping out, and I think I told him, like, man, this is crazy. Cause when I was younger, I never thought that, you know, I could just sit here with my mom, Hugging me like this and us being in peace. Why? Because we're always going at it since as far as I can remember, since as young as I was, ever since my parents split up, it's like we started, we were just always going at it. We would see each other, we're, you know, uh, walking through the house, and it was brrr, like we started just, started shooting words at each other, boom, boom, this is that and the other, right? Both of us were different people. She came to the Lord, she surrendered her life to the Lord, I surrendered my life to the Lord, and now, amen, we have peace. Right, and, and now I'm seeing the blessing of it of just being at peace with, with my mom, being at peace with my parents. Where if I could be at peace with my parents now, hey man, I could be at peace with God. Why? Because He's our heavenly Father. And it's like Jesus would say later on, He says, "If you hate your brother, He says, hey man, you committed you committed murder." And it's like we can't be at odds with our parents and yet try to be at peace with God. I can't I try to have peace, try to be at odds with my with my my earthly father and my earthly mother, and yet. Try to have that peace with my heavenly Father, right? And so we go now to the the sixth commandment. It says, "You shall not murder." Jesus said, "Hey, if you," Jesus says, "If you if you even uh, hate someone, you know, in your heart, he says you've already committed murder." So it's not just, "Hey, man, I gotta go stab." It's not just stabbing someone or shooting someone or really literally killing someone, but it goes further than that. It's it's actually something that happens in the heart. And then he says, "You shall not commit adultery," meaning you know, having a, a sexual relationship. Outside of marriage, he said, "You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, meaning lying. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor, your, nor, nor his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's." And so, notice that the first five commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The second five commandments have to do with our relationship with one another. And, and, and we're going to read it later on that as God uh, uh, writes down the, 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 the law, the commandments for Moses, he writes it on two tablets. And I, and I always wonder, man, how come he couldn't just do one long tablet or, or write in smaller font so they get all fit in one tablet? And really because God was establishing this, that there's really this law is set up in two parts. You know, the law of, you know, uh, 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 with our hearts unto God and, and the law concerning our hearts unto, unto mankind, unto each other, unto our neighbors. Jesus was summed up later on in the New Testament as he was walking with the disciples. There was a, 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 a scribe or a lawyer of the law and they were like, all right, I'm going to give him a hard question and you know, he's not going to be able to answer this and everyone's going to see that he's, not, he's, he's a fool and, and that you know, he's not the Messiah. And they go up to him and all snobby and they say, 
a master, you know, a teacher. You say, what's the greatest commandment? Right? And they thought they were going to trip him up and they thought Jesus was going to fumble upon his words and not know what to say. And Jesus said this, he says, the greatest commandment is this, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your spirit. He says, and the second greatest one is like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say, in this, the whole law is summed up. Love God and love your neighbor. Why? Because the first five, the first tablet is your relationship with God. The second tablet is your relationship with each other. So Jesus says, hey man, love God, love your neighbor. He says, by doing that, you're keeping the whole law. Obviously, we know that none of us can do that. Why? Because there's sin in our hearts and there's no way we can just love everybody unrestrainedly the way God does. Right? There's sin in our hearts and that's and so that's we'll get to that later on. But that's 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 one of the that's uh that's why again they're set up this there two parts. Uh, sin against God and sin against mankind. But notice these sins against mankind, he says, Hey, you should not murder, I mean take someone's life, and you should not commit adultery. Jesus said this. You may think, all right, well, somebody may think, all right, well, look, I'm married. But, and you know, I've never cheated on my wife or I've never cheated on my husband. So I'm good on that, right? But Jesus will say this. He says, hey, even if you look at another person with lustful intention, he says, dude, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And it's like, man, that kind of wipes out everyone pretty much, right? And it's like, we can't even think that, all right, well, I'm good in this. I'm bad on that. I got this one good. I got this one down. But I messed up in that one. No, because Jesus says that it goes beyond just physical and the tangible. It goes into our hearts, right? It's the law of our, of our hearts. He says, you should not steal. Even the smallest thing, I think, man, when I was young, I used to, that was my thing, you know, I used to love to steal. And, and I'll be honest, every once in a while, man, I'm at the grocery store, and even like the, the other day, I was at, I told Liz, I was at Smart and Final, and I got so upset, like really, really upset. Cause I was at Smart and Final, and I saw this, uh, I saw these people, and they have like three shopping carts full of food, like piled up to like this high. And, and I'm right here with, you know, like milk, what is it? milk, eggs, bread, like four things, because we have to save money because we're on a budget. And I, and I see the lady; she's fighting with the with the with the cashier, and they're going at it. And it's and you know it's and it's uh it's they're all together. It's like the mom, the the sister or something, and the grandma. And they have these three full cards. And I, I look, and they're paying with the with the EBT thing. And not that there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm, but I real automatically I realize, man, sometimes people take advantage of that stuff, you know. And, and it's there for a purpose. We used it growing up, right, when we we're going through hard times. But you could tell that people take advantage of it. And I'm thinking, man, I'm right here, you know, with my, I'm penny pinching. I'm telling Liz, all right, babe, we can't buy this because I have to buy bread today. This and that. I'm like thinking, man, you know, I should just walk out with this, right? There's, I'm seeing all these videos of people walking away with jewelry and not getting caught. And I'm thinking, man, why should I just walk out with this eggs, bread, and milk, and, and coffee that I have right here? It's like that thought entered into my head, you know. And, and I walked away, and I thought, I don't know, just kidding, Lord, I would never do that. And then it's like the Lord convicted me right away. He's like, no, you thought about it. He says, in your heart, in your heart, you did it. And in your heart, you walked away with those bags without paying them. And he's like, that's sin. I'm like, oh, Lord, like, forgive me. I'm so sinful, right? I can't say I'm a pastor now. I don't have these thoughts and I don't struggle with these things. Why? Because the, the, the law is the law of our hearts, right? So just to kind of give you some of my dirt. <laughs> and so it goes on to say there in verse... Uh, in verse 18 now, again, as God is giving the, the law to the people... He goes on to say in verse 18, he says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we'll hear you. But, let, but don't let God speak with us, or else we're going to die. And so God 
spoke to the people. God is, you know, desiring to speak to his people. And, and, and what was the people's response? They were scared. Dude, they were scared for their life because they thought they were going to die. They saw the trembling and the lightning and the, thund and the thundering and the earthquakes. And they thought, man, we're going to die right now if, if God speaks to us. It's like, I, I saw a movie and, and, and it was really illustrated. And the people were like, no, 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 we, we can't take it anymore. We can't take it anymore. And I thought, man, that's, that's really good. You know, because I can imagine that's how proud the people were. They're like, Moses, Moses, no, no more. You, you talk to God for us. You talk to God for us. We can't take it anymore. Right? And so, and so we're told that, that, that again, that, that, that they didn't want to talk to God because they thought they were going to die. Again, remember, God is establishing this, this, this order. God is establishing this standard of holiness. And goes on to say in verse 20, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. He says, Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, and that, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. In verse 21, So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. I love that. I love that. The people, what did they do? Man, they backed away. What did Moses do? He got even closer. And really that speaks of a, of a relationship with God. Because when you don't have a relationship with God, when you haven't understood what God did on the what, what, what God did by sending His Son to die on the cross for you, you don't want to come near God. If anything, you kind of want to just distance yourself from God when you don't understand what He did for you. The Bible tells us this in First John four eighteen. It says, "There is no fear in love." Why? It says, "Because perfect love has cast out all fear." Again, there is no fear in love. What are the people doing here? They're fearful. They're fearful of this loving, merciful God. Why? Because they have not known Him in a personal way yet, like Moses has. Moses has spent a lot of time with God. Moses is beyond the do this, do that type of, type of approach to God. Moses has a relationship with God. God met Moses in the wilderness in his lowest points. He built him up. He raised him up. He spoke to him. He ministered to him. You know, he, 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 he poured into him. Moses is in a relationship with God here. They're in the Old Testament. Amazing. And so Moses had no fear. Why? Because he knew who it was that he was approaching. And he knew God's plans for his life. Again, First John 14 says, There is no fear in love. Why? Because perfect love has cast out all fear. And goes on to say, there in verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or, gold, or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves an altar of the earth. You shall make for me, or, or it says, sorry, he says, you, shouldn't, you should not make any little gods of silver or gold or, 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 or any of those things in verse 24. But an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name. And I will come to you and I will bless you. And so God is telling them, all right, look, you've, you've seen who it is that's talking with you. He says, you've seen that I'm in heaven. I'm not, I'm not here on earth. He says, so don't try to make a little statue of something you see on earth because you've seen that I'm talking to you from heaven. He says, so don't make any image of me or any carving. But, but instead, he says, make an altar for me where you can come and sacrifice so you can approach me. And so uh, an idol is different from an altar. An altar is a meeting place. You'll call, it could be like a church, right? This could be considered an altar because it's where we come to worship God. You can worship God anywhere, but you know, Altar, an altar is a specific place where they would go worship God. And so he goes on to say this in verse 25. It says, And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, meaning like of stone that was cut out by hand. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up to, by, by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. And, and, and I think this is interesting because, again, God says, 
Don't make any carved images. Don't make any idols. Don't make any you know little things out of stone or gold or silver. But you can make an altar where you come and sacrifice unto me. But he says this: when you make an altar out of stone, don't carve out the rocks. He says, just use whatever rocks you find. Don't alter them. Don't try to chip them out and make them into a nice, uh, nice square or nice round or whatever. He says, don't don't do anything to the rocks. Why? Because he says, if you if you if you touch the rocks, if you if you if you use your tool in them, you profane them. Meaning that now the focus is not in me going to meet God, but now the focus is on this beautiful altar that I built. Right? And, and and we see a lot of beautiful churches, a lot of beautiful churches, but yet a lot of these beautiful churches that that, that are out there. You go in there and there's absolutely like, like all the attention is taken away from God. And now it's like, man, look at this awesome ceiling. Man, look at those murals. Man, look at these hanging chandeliers. Man, look at these pillars. Man, look at the benches. Man, look at these awesome chairs. Man, look at this, this, that, and the other. Look at what the guy is wearing up there. Man, look at his suit. Man, check out his shoes. Man, check out all these awesome things. Right? And God is saying, look, man, if you, if you, if you put any of your own little touch on it, you're taking attention away from me. Uh, and, and I love that because I was thinking about our, our little church. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, we have a cool church. You know, it's nice. It's simple. It's small. But you know what? The name of the the name of God is proclaimed, and the name of God is being worshipped. It's not this place. It's not me. It's not what you know. I'm worrying. I'm not trying to make. Uh, you know, the, I'm not trying to take the attention away from God. But the attention goes. I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to take the the attention away from God and bring it upon myself or upon the place or even upon you know, wo, 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 like who we are, or what we do. No, but the attention is unto the Lord. And so again, he says, if you make me an altar of stone, he says, you should not build it from, from carved out stone. You know, because if you use your tool on it, you mess it up. And so again, it just speaks of, of the attention, you know, that, that, that God deserves in our worship. Right? That's why, if you ever wondered, you know, that's why us, you know, in, in our specific church, Calvary Chapel, we kind of discourage uh, like loud outbursts in, the, in like during, during worship service, you know, you know, like, like speaking in tongues and all that. We believe in speaking in tongues. We, I believe all 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit are valid. They're for today. They're in use. I encourage them. I, I love helping people find those gifts, walk in their gifts. You know, help others fi find their gifts and walk in those gifts and worship God with those gifts and edify the body. But, you know, we do it in order. And one of the reasons why is because, man, we, want, we don't want any attention to be taken away from the Lord. Right? That's how it should be. God says, hey, man, says, you use your tool on it. You, bring it. you put any of yourself in it. You mess it all up. There's no issue you go up by the steps on my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. I won't go too deep into that one. But with that, we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop right there and we'll pick it up next week. Um, and, and we're going to go now into like the law concerning uh, the different people groups that are there with the children of Israel. And we're going to see that for the next few chapters, it's going to be nothing but laws. Boom, 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 boom. So just stick with me. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, you may... My praise is that we'll all be able to just kind of see it in a new light, you know, as we go through these laws, that they're not just, oh man, these boring laws, but really kind of just extract the whole purpose of God giving us these laws for the people, right? Amen? Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And we just praise you, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would just get all the glory, all the honor in this place always, Lord. Lord, may your name always be glorified.